It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 602 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 45 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. This is Wayne. I'm Brodor. So, Brodor, you just got back from Gen Con. What was it like this year? Uh, It was fantastic. The energy at Gen Con was very high. The attendance was higher than last year. because Was it back up to normal? Do you think? I know they've not released numbers yet. No. So, it was below previous years. If you had to guess, because you said two years ago it was about half. Right. Do you think this was just guessing? 60%, 75%? So I would say last year was probably somewhere around the fifty to 55,000 people. Okay. This year was probably closer to the seventy to 75,000 people. And they usually run, what, about 90,000? I want to say about that or higher, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm sort of drunk and pulling these numbers out of my ass. Oh, that's fine. That's what numbers are good for. If they actually care, they can release turnstile numbers, which... By the time this episode drops, they may have done. Here's what I will say. It was certainly more crowded than last year. The booth presentation, particularly uh, the big names like Paizo, Asmodee, etc., were much greater. The energy was just people were positive. They were excited. It was, was a really, really fun show, but... For me, I have to say thank you to Pete Petrusha and Imagining Games. Not only did Pete get nominated for an Ennie for Best Rules for his game Rest in Pieces, but I had the opportunity to work Pete's booth, and we f***ing crushed. I'm not kidding. According to the people to whom I spoke, and obviously Pete has more connections, more contacts in the industry, vendors did very well. Okay. I mean, people really were very happy with the amount of traffic, with sales. It was an absolute blast. And I from, heard reports where people were coming by the booth, and you would just have a crowd of people around like you. proselytizing. Just, yeah, proselytizing the game. I, and I, I think that's a misrepresentation in scope. With that said, I don't want to be too arrogant, but I was definitely on. Right, like we we kicked ass. We sold all but eight copies of Pete's game, and that was before I left at three thirty. At which point, Pete and I were running in long opposite aisles, and I was screaming about how much I love him. And then I said that there were only eight copies left, and then they were on sale for half price during this last half hour. Yeah. So I haven't spoken to Pete. I don't know if that went anywhere, but. A lot of people came by the booth. I'm sorry to tell you, Dan. Hashtag Brodor wins by a great margin. Well, you know why? <laughs> There's a real simple reason why. Because my life has been so screwed up. The episode where we explain the Brodor versus Dan contest it isn't out yet. It hasn't come never out. Never dropped. <laughs> and so it's going to get dropped post Gen Con. But so you, it's literally, it'll probably only be on Patreon because. For general release, I'll probably cut it because it's completely irrelevant. It talks about a contest at Gen Con, and Gen Con's over. So, But yeah, I was going to ask if Pete won the any, but honestly, it doesn't matter. And here's why. I'm on an industry mailing list, and several times over, people have asked the question of what does an any win do for your sales? And the unanimous, and I mean unanimous response 
from small companies, big companies, mid-sized companies has always been identical, which is winning the any does nothing. It's the nomination that everyone sees a huge boost off the nomination and who actually goes on to take the gold versus silver does not matter. It does not affect their sales. It's simply the nomination. I so, think most people don't even know. You know that's the thing. They'll know what gets nominated. But exactly. They don't know who because there's a pre-con hype because people are, of course, paying attention before they attend. They've got podcasts and blogs and various things asking them, hey, let's get out the vote, vote for our product. And so that drives up awareness. Vote early, vote often. But <laughs> the thing is, by the time the con hits and then ends and people are tired and broke, and possibly sick and going home, they're not paying attention anymore. So no one even knows who won. Well, even the people who were like proselytizing beforehand, you know, go vote. If they didn't win, they're not going to bring it up again. So yeah. let's... Well, and the people who did win. Yeah. The most you're going to see of it is maybe the next edition's cover will say gold any winning thing. You know, I mean, it's it really never comes up again. Now, I will say this, and, and I have a couple shout outs I want to do. Before I forget, but the company that we shared a booth with, Acheron, it's an Italian RPG company. And not only did they do some really fantastic stuff, in in my opinion, I loved working with them. I loved their energy. I loved their professionalism. But I have to tell you, they had multiple Ennies from 2001, and they brought their f***ing Ennies with them. And they had them displayed with their books. It was like Michael Phelps, right, in all his gold and different <laughs> medals, right? It was fantastic. So they literally used their Ennies to display their book. So when people were coming by, I, we had an amazing corner, right? So we were in this far back corner. But between us and Mage Hand Press and Cryptid Cafe and Stifling Darkness, the board game, we had like this energy back in that back corner and dude we were f***ing crowded it was busy it was fun i had a blast but i want to say thank you to tom and to the Ingracias and to michael and everybody else who came by the booth to see me and to say how much they love the show fear the boot and to say hi to you guys i i just it was incredible however one fan in particular rogue operative on discord or Taylor, she came by the booth and I was so uncomfortable with the positive things that she had to say about what I brought to the show. And I I just, it meant the world to me. I mean, it was an amazing weekend all around. I could go for an hour about all the incredible things that happened. Yeah. Taylor, it's really not nice to make Broder uncomfortable. Next year, if you see him at Gen Con, please just kick him in the (laughs) First of all, I... It's not like he needs it anymore. So, Taylor's one of those wiry people that looks like she would fight until she's burger. So, I don't want Taylor to kick me in the because I suspect it will f***ing hurt. So, no. I don't need any of that. But what I am saying is... why I would want it. It, it, was, it was the highlight of my weekend when you came by the booth and we chatted and I just wanted to say thank you. All righty. So, what, that's not what we're going to talk about today that we just did. So, I guess we are... But that's not oh, the yeah. main topic oh, for today. Sorry. Please, no. Continue. Yeah, please, please keep apologizing. Maybe eventually you'll reach uh, 
moral neutrality. So what we are going to talk about today is something that we talked about like three months ago, <laughs> which is our last episode. Yeah, life just keeps getting better. But so we were going to talk about customizing or personalizing a module, which is something the show has really not been able to talk about in the past because pretty much everyone on the show runs their own material. We write our own stuff. And there's nothing wrong with modules per se. We may have presented that opinion simply because unanimously all of us don't use them. We have our reasons for not using them, and therefore there's going to be a unanimity to our, I guess, negative opinions on them. But it's not like modules are inherently bad. In fact, I, there was a survey, I don't know if this is still true, but there's a survey run of the gaming consumers some years back where almost across the board, the game element that most people felt was really lacking was game ideas, modules, sample plots, things like that. That was the thing that more than not, consumers really felt was missing from the RPG industry. Well, now fortunately I've picked up Mary, who sucks as a GM, hey. so she runs out of modules. I, I object. <laughs> well, nope. in the past I've talked about how I've had nothing to say about it, because the one time I was going to run one, at the last minute it's like, I can't do that, I need to run my own stuff. Yeah. I've run some in the last year, for the first time, so I finally have some experience. Wayne, I'm sorry. No. So, alright, but... You had some thoughts on the last episode that we kind of left hanging because we didn't want to develop them in all three minutes at the tail end of the show (laughs) on how do you take a module and not simply run it as a rote script of here's your box text, here's your choose your own adventure list of three options in this room, and then we turn to different pages or roll up an encounter based on what you do so you had some thoughts on actually personalizing them to the audience that you're you're working with i don't even know where to begin because i don't do this and so i'm just going to admit ignorance here and just kick it to you where do we even start with this so I'm going to start where we were talking last week because the whole Kip what, last week I yeah. know okay well you know last maybe when this quarter. goes out <laughs> yeah the last week I was in this house yes. um, okay but so what we were talking about and what brought up the idea of talking about modules in the first place was we were talking about incorporating character backstories into a game yes. And what I said is that my first thought was that I have had experience doing this with modules and specifically how it makes the modules so much more that you get so much more investment, you get so much more freedom and buy in from your players if you do that. Like it's it's a way to make a module more personalized, give your players something to grab onto and like just make it more fun for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think this is in a way, kind of where I'm stuck is because what you just said is the reason why I won't run a module. Right. Sounds like the antithesis of a yeah, module. Yeah, what a module is. It's which, pre-written. And what you have to realize is the way to come at running a module as an experienced GM. Like they're great for beginner GMs who like just need all the help they can get. You yeah. Need you don't know the setting. You don't know. Um, the mechanics, they're fantastic ways to get into a system, especially one you've never run before. But as an experienced GM who knows the system, who knows the setting, what a module is, 
is not an all-contained, you-have-to-run-it-as-written story, everything is already preordained. What a module is is a framework. What it does is give you the bones of a story, of a setting, but it gives you the entire framework within which you are free to do whatever you want to do. But one of my problems that I've had in running long-term games is having a consistent story, finding the story beats, finding where the characters go next, figuring out what happens next in the plot. And what a module does is it gives you that. And everything you do in between those points is all up to you. So what you've just described, I think, is in a way my problem. But let me see if I can unpack it in the way you just gave. All right, so I'm, yeah. bear with me here while I'm trying to explain this. The problem I have with a module is it's a script for what should otherwise be at least a mostly unscripted art form. I mean, it's okay to have certain scenes scripted or whatever, but 90-some-odd percent of an RPG is you dealing with improv reactions from the players or spicing things up or figuring out what people are latching on to, things like that. You ever hear an idea explained and you never really thought you understood the idea until someone explained it in that fashion? Yeah. I think that what you did there with modules saying that it is a script for an art form that it is ideally unscripted is the thing I've never been able to put my finger on it, but yeah. that's my issue with modules. That that is the issue for me. Is a module? Let's say if we look at the major story components, major the major story, plot points, major plot point, yeah, that you have to go A B C D E, and it's not just that these are the plot points presented, but you have the meeting with the job contact in A, which leads to you starting the job in B which leads to you getting the information in C, which leads to the fight in D, which leads to the aftermath in E. They're not all written like that. They're they're really not. Let me pause right there to say at least the ones that I have read. And while I don't run modules, I do not own a small number of them. I own a pretty substantial number of modules. Well, that's why I was wondering if maybe... In all the modules I have flipped through, if I'm running a game off of my own notes and the players decide you know what we're not even going to engage with the big bad we're going to do something completely different no problem i know how to rearrange things but the module presupposes that well and that's why i was wondering if maybe modules are different now than they used to be maybe they have there has been a change in how a lot of them are okay so maybe that's maybe that's issues i'm just ignorant of where there's a lot of there's a lot of plot point campaigns where there's just here is a basic plot point. It doesn't describe the scenes or things. Yeah. It's just little spots you can go. There are basically choose-your-own-adventure kind of things. Like Chris Hussey's uh, Wolverines Take the Highway to the Danger Zone. There's not take A to B to C. It's a, here's a bunch of things around town that they could potentially do. Here's a beginning. Here's an end. Have fun. Get them somehow to the end. And there have always been modules written that way. It just hasn't always been the predominant. Like, you sit down to uh, the Pathfinder campaign stuff, and it's not yeah. that. It, you are oh, yeah. sitting down for a specific, like, 
these are the encounters. We're going to all run through them. It's like the good living Greyhawk yeah. stuff where it's like, this is the, this is the fight. This is the fight. This is the fight. This is the story. Organized play is very, organized play is very different. But the thing you've always talked about on the show is, you know, like, so you have this thing in mind, you yeah. have this information that this NPC has and he's in town a, and the NP and the players just go straight to town C and you're like, well, they don't know this, but now town a is town C. And you can do the exact same thing with a module. All you have to do is know what's in it, know the information, and what the players need to get through the story. And the thing is, the story is entirely mutable. You can take entire swaths of the modules written and throw them right out and just use the parts you want to. Like, what brought this to mind for me was one of the longest campaigns I run was 3, 5, 1 to 20-ish campaign that was uh, an adventure path it was all module and the thing that made it go so long and be so successful is that i not only did i ignore parts of the module but i took whatever player character backstories were and i was like you have created an enemy for yourself like one player i think had like had run away from being a, a slave to a blue dragon of some sort i'm remembering this badly but yeah that blue dragon does not exist in this module well now it does Now it is another antagonist. I will sit down at the beginning of a game, and I guess this is going back to how I would run this, and I read through everything, learn it all, figure out the parts you want to use, and then storyboard it like you would anything else. Here are my big bads, here are my players, here are player interests, and then I just start drawing lines. Yeah, I have a mental Mm. challenge for you, Dan. And first of all, let me say, I'm definitely still more on the... I make my own campaigns mindset. But think about it this way. You always talk about how certain campaigns you've run multiple times. Yes. Like Stone Keep, I think, is one of them. You've run people through it. The only difference is you wrote it versus somebody else wrote it. Yeah. You're approaching it with a story in mind, and then you're modifying that story for your players that come in. So I, I think maybe herein lies a distinction that I have failed to make And I think, based on my experience playing under certain people, I think other GMs have failed to make, which is when I write a story, we start off with the presupposition that what I am writing is a bunch of mutable story points or story beats, that I am writing a series of concepts that can be rearranged, changed, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you hand me a book that's a module, I start to see it as a script, is what you're suggesting, Mary and or Wayne, that when you read a module, what you should be doing is familiarizing yourself with the module to the point that much like a movie, I guess, where people say, you know, this movie would have been better if at this plot point they'd done this. You make the director's and, cut. And they can, they can understand, yeah, the director's cut. I, I've said multiple times over. The DC movies are terrible, and I'm not trying to get into the politics of this because I swear I really don't care. The Snyder cuts of the DC movies are markedly better than the theatrical well, releases. That's, They're still that's, just that's, polishing turds, though. That, that's yeah. why he paid for all those bots. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you straight up that I will not defend the theatrical release of Batman versus Superman or Justice League, but I loved the uncut ultimate versions or whatever and i've talked to people who saw the ultimate version first like i don't understand why this gets all the hate and i'm like now you understand the issue once again not going to get deep into this because i really don't care about the politics no, but it's, it's the same but, thing but the point as, is, is, yeah. is what you're suggesting to no 
the module to the point that you can say, here's the framework of the story. Now I'm going to deconstruct it into its constituent Legos such that I can rebuild it on the fly into whatever I want and ignore the script. Right, which is what you have to do. And even if it's like you can keep the script for a room or, you know, a plot beat. But, yeah, you almost have to be able to do that because you don't want to have your players on that railroad where they can't deviate from. You still want them to have the illusion, which is all it ever is, of being able to do whatever they want and go wherever they want. What opened my eyes is playing as a player in a campaign where somebody is running a full module that was multiple plot points. Not every session was a plot point from that. Some of the sessions are just RP sessions because of things we've done. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, yeah. it, It really opened my eyes because I had that same view of they're very structured and you go from point A to B. I didn't even know I was playing through a module. Yeah. Right. See, and I got to be very careful here because I don't want to name people or out people. But pre-COVID, I was at a convention where I was playing under someone who said from the start that what we're playing is a module because they were actually part of a team that was playtesting a module. And we got to a particular encounter and I had a somewhat unique solution to the encounter. And the game master told me outright your solution is interesting and really ought to work, but I'm supposed to be playtesting the module, and that's not how the module goes. The module presupposes that the big bad remains the big bad, and you don't talk him out of his plot. And so we have to go to fight. You know, we cannot have it in that way. And so that kind of reinforced my view that, okay, I'm basically an actor where if I have little to no imagination and I'm a very, very passive, unimaginative player, I guess I can just kind of fall forward through this campaign or this this session. But if I really want to do something of my own, this module suddenly becomes very noticeable hedge maze of I have to keep within the walls. That's really interesting. I'm guessing... They weren't the person that wrote the module. No, that's correct. correct. I've done play tests for people that are testing modules that they've released multiple times. Yeah. And they love that. I was going to say, that sounds like a... when people come up with something new. So not a useful play test, because if if what you're trying to do is not covered, then maybe it should be. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, is that something that is true in modern modules, or at least in some modules that I didn't see in the past, where it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure of if the players fight the big bad, turn to page 25... If they converse with a big bad, turn to page 28. If they run from the room and don't even fight them at all, turn to page 30. It can be. If they flate the villain, turn to page 37. I mean, to be fair, the game I'm talking about did involve the Book of Erotic Fantasy because because we had it. And Ah, I was like, there's a table for this one. Friggin' roll on it. But um, The villain never thought it could happen to him. (laughs) Right? One, One of the ones I read through has combats yeah and when the combat happens if they're successful go to this page if they're not successful go to this page okay see now i'm gonna admit once again this may be the fact that they're older modules this could just be the modules i'm looking at because some of them are newer right they are much more wooden than this oh a lot of them are and the, the thing is they assume a very very passive unimaginative group of players oh absolutely and the thing is you can run them like that this game 
that I'm talking about, the, the one that comes to mind, first of all, lasted a very long time. It was the Legacy of Fire Adventure Path that, you know, I ran all the way through. And that's made up of six separate modules that are all written by different people. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where the, the setting shifts, the tone shifts, everything is so different between each book that it's one of those where it's like you almost have to ignore half of it just to make it a coherent story. And that's fine. Or you know, you have 10 players and you just need to throw things at them so that they get through the session because it's too many people to run three five for. All of that happened in the same game. Like, yeah. it's it's entirely up to the DM and up to the group how they want to be playing it. I think the type of person that's going to run it very rigidly and not be open to it isn't the type of person that's going to come here to listen to an episode about how do you customize it to your players. No, I mean, that may be a fair point. Because those GMs are definitely out there. Okay, I have seen those GMs. I have sat at the table, and I have found it painful. But Uh, Yeah, I've been in those games. But that type of GM is not going to come listen to the other. Hey, I've run those games. (laughs) (laughs) So have I. So so let me, me, Mary, I'm going to give you a made-up situation here. Yeah. Because I need something that will be probably common knowledge to all of the audience. So let's say that the module that you've got in front of you is a D&D module that calls for playing the Knights of the Round Table, okay? So it presupposes that everyone is playing a human knight or paladin. Those are your only two, fighter or paladin. Those are your two choices. And you are going to agree to go on a quest for the Holy Grail, okay? So this is the adventure as it exists in the module. And when we come to this game... I am playing a Nolish shaman whose background is in trying to find heroes that are about to die because he believes in what's called an animist religion, which mm-hmm. has nothing to do with animals, has right, with ancestor no, spirits. Yep. And basically says, you know what? I'm not really interested in finding the grail. I just want to be there when certain people die. Yeah. So that I can already know who they are, so I know how to summon their ancestor spirits to perform clerical magic. All right. How are you going to customize this module to my character? How are you going to make my character fit in here? All right. Two things. Step back. (laughs) And as we've talked about before, how much do we know going in? And how much has the GM said, literally, no, you can't do that in this game? Like, is this this the everybody's playing dwarves and you just refuse? Or is we sat down and said everything's on the table and... Let's assume you're okay with this and we've been through 15 adventures with this. Okay. And you're on, I don't know, subscription basis or just are really easily swayed by the person at the game store and you came home with this module. I I don't know. I have no idea what the setup is here. No, it's it's fine. I'm just trying to understand... With a real example, and I say real in the quotes here, <laughs> right. uh, because I have to use a story everybody knows. That's fair. How That's do fair. you customize a module to the characters you've got and to the backstories you've got when the module itself was not written for those characters? So in this situation, A, I don't think I would do that. It would be a case of that's not worth bringing in the module at that point. If this is a pre-established group of characters right. and now I say, we're going to play this game in Arthurian legend when we've been over here in Faerun for a while. Like that well, doesn't... Say, I don't know. Let's say it's but been an Arthurian legend. I, I, it's just we were out in the wilds and because, I mean, Merlin may have been a, what's called a heathen, not not Right, unbeliever, right, right. No, no, no. no. Like heathen. literal heathen. Um, yeah. Well, so, so I the, think there's a difference here that may come into 
you're trying to define this, there's a difference between running an entire campaign of a module yeah. that's a multi-point mm-hmm. and then grabbing one individual adventure module that you're going to fit into one game Right. Session. Well, what I'm trying to do here is to put pen to paper on the question of how do you customize a module right. to the character's so, present. But yes. in order to do so, I need a story everyone's familiar with and a right. character who is obviously not an easy... Because yes. if I tell you, oh, I'm playing a human paladin, well, this gets so brainlessly simple, why have the episode? So, my right. question so I'm trying her, to create a problem. Right, my question right. for you to help her, sure. is this a one adventure of the Arthurian thing, or is this the entire campaign? Because how you customize it and the level of customization is different for the two. Okay, fair yeah. question. Yeah. Let's, let's say, because we're talking about modules i think with the assumption that that's what the gm prefers so up to this point uh we have been treating my knoll as a creature of the dark forest as a creature that's perhaps fae or folk tale as much as this is not a creature who's normally present in town you know, trading with the But we have already incorporated your character into the setting. Yes, it's so my sense. character makes some sense, sense in the setting. Right. When he shows up at the round table, maybe some people are surprised to see him, but at least a few people there are not shocked that he exists. Right, well, in that case, it's no different than, I mean, running the rest of the game. Like, it's you have to sit down and... T- so the module itself does not incorporate... There is a Noel character in the party that doesn't exist in the setting. Exactly. That's the problem I'm trying to create. Right. But so what you do is you sit down and you say, okay, here's the mo- here's the story is written. So this so King Arthur is going to send you on a quest. Um, like the, everybody has to gather at the round table, and that's that's where the the module begins. Yes. And this is the, the start of the story. Is going to send you on a quest. What happens is that you sit down and you read the box text or however this adventure starts, and. At no point does King Arthur address the fact that there is this outsider in setting wise among the party. And what you do is you rewrite it. You take his character dialogue and you throw it out the window and be like, so you have to go to this town and talk to this person for this reason. And those are the key things that he needs to tell you. And after that, you ignore everything that was written and you talk to the group of players the same way you've been talking to them the whole time as a group of players. However, you've incorporated your Noel into this, whether he's uh, attached to a, another character, just this weird outsider who's like been sent, who's had the blessing of Merlin, or, or maybe you know Morgana gave him a, an end to the story, and Arthur's sitting there going, all right, I guess I'll listen to you, and you're a part of this. I don't know why, I don't understand you, but you're a part of this. And... That's the way he talks to you. That's the way I would okay, do so, it. Okay, so it sounds, if I'm following this right, let me try and restate what you're saying yeah. to see if I'm, I'm latching on your point here. You take the story and you get a bit of reductive. That the gist of the story is that we need to send people out on a quest for the Holy Grail. And if that's not something that maybe Arthur is best positioned to do, that maybe instead of King Arthur... Merlin grabs the knoll and says, I know you're into magic, so I want you to follow along with this particular knight and see what they do and learn from that. Or maybe somebody else, perhaps from the knoll's own tribe, that's not even mentioned in this module, because the module presupposes that only humans exist, Right, pulls them aside and says, hey, you're into animism and you're into the power of the deceased as it's used in clerical magic. 
well, if you find the Holy Grail and learn more about Christian saints and such, maybe there's an entire new dimension of clerical magic that you could integrate into your religion. And so, therefore, you have a reason to chase the Holy Grail, even if otherwise you're not a paladin of the round table. And how you set this up for your example, I would come in and basically have an NPC come and have the conversation with you of, I understand you're wanting to learn about great warriors before they die. Yeah. Many warriors will likely die on this quest. And what you're going to gain out of it is learning about these warriors before they die. But you're going to have to bring something to the table as well. Yeah. You can't just go with them. You have to earn your place with them. By doing that, you will learn their story. If if you are not a worthy person, then worthy spirits will not respond to you. Yes. So maybe, you know, you can maybe even go the other way around and say, nobody's going to die on this. But if you don't participate, then worthy spirits will not respond to you because you yourself do not command any respect. Well, and the other thing, too, is that uh, one of the key things to do is, so say... In this example, say in the module as written, King Arthur is the person who gives the party the quest because they're all human knights of his round table. And in this module, Merlin is a character, but he doesn't show up until later. and He's mysterious and over here and maybe antagonistic, maybe not. And what you do as a DM is you're like, I've read the whole thing. I know Merlin shows up. So maybe Merlin is the person to talk to this knoll, but nobody else hears him. Yeah, He talks to this knoll. And that way you introduce characters before they show up in the module, before they show up in things, and you tie them to characters. And you make those characters, again, it's investment. It's about bringing them into the story and adapting the story to... Okay, so look at the module, know what's going on, maybe even add some things that aren't written. Absolutely. But with the eye for, okay, I know these things about the player characters... What is a sensible way to tie them into this plot stream, even if it is supplemental to what is otherwise written in the story? Yes. Well, having never run a module myself, but I watch a lot of movies and a very common experience for me is watching a movie and thinking what I would have done differently. Lines I would have changed, scenes I would have cut, stuff I would have added. And for me, I think the exciting thing is about a module is I have that script, but I got to read it beforehand to determine what is it that I want to do differently. But then also I'm going to have those great inspirations on the fly when I'm engaging with my player audience and they're going to have wonderful ideas that I wouldn't have even considered deviations, addendums, etc., that I would have not ever considered had I not been playing with them in the first place. Yeah, we always talk about getting inspiration from different places. Movies, books, other games, comics. Why not from a module? Post-nut clarity. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my thing about a module, and part of the reason I own so many modules, now some of them have been given to me as gifts or people asking for insider reviews over the years, but part of the reason I own them is because of the fact that they oftentimes inspire me in terms of individual art concepts, things like that. Pre-statted out NPCs. Pre-statted NPCs. I don't run the module, but there might be one piece I pry out of it, which I think is perhaps a bit so far off the topic 
that I don't know what it would address right. what we're trying to talk about. I which is not why even I've, run the setting of the book. Yeah, <laughs> like there's a Battletech module called Prometheus Unbound or something to that effect where I have pried a lot of individual pieces out of that module, but only once did I attempt to run it as a module. And fortunately, it worked fairly well because the group I was playing with was, at the time, fairly unimaginative and just kind of went with the flow. And the module was set up for people that were playing mercenaries already, and so they were playing mercenaries as just another contract, and they played along. But in the aftermath of that and other runnings, I have pulled pieces of it. But once again, I think that's a bit so far off the topic because that's not personalizing a module. That's stripping a module for bolts. That's like stripping anything else, like pulling a character out of a movie or a book. Yeah, exactly. That's like saying this guy's roughly purpose. based right, on Which solo. is sort of the, uh, the flip side of the coin that I was saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll tell you what, I mean... Nothing is original. Oh, absolutely! So I I steal with impunity. I've definitely reread books that I haven't read for like two decades and gone, "Oh, that's where I got that D and D character right? from." Right? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> so, it, so I think one of the other true facts of a module is even if you follow what's otherwise outlined there, no proper noun is true until you stated it. Yeah. yeah. So if the big bad is supposed to be Mordred, but the Player characters, one of them has a brother who's antagonistic toward them, and his name is Bill. Well, <laughs> then suddenly Bill is the big bad and not Mordred. Yeah. And you've got a necromancer in the story, and it just so happens one of your players has a necromancer father. Or even if not a necromancer. I mean, it could be that they're an anti-paladin. I don't know. I, I did but actually. you can just swap one person for another. That oh, absolutely. The antagonist was supposed to be this person, and now suddenly the whole thing is being driven by someone that exists on a player's background. Any that, of the proper towns. You go yes. to a town to get information. You're supposed to talk to an information broker or a fixer, but the players have an NPC in their background that could fill that role just the same. So just cross out the name, write the name over it. By the way, I will say from the few times that I've run modules, I am generally not a person who likes to write in my books. I really hate writing in my books. If you are afraid to write in your books, modules are probably not for you. No, you photocopy have, them. Photocopy them, and then you have the page as is written, but you can also write okay, on it. Fair enough. And highlight all it. All I can say is the couple times I've run a module, I have had to write all over them. In the book, in the margins. So yeah, if you're not prepared to photocopy it or to get a PDF of it or something... That, yeah, it, because I had to write so many things in it oh. to, because otherwise you can't follow your no, own map. No, yeah. it, and that's the thing. Like I said, if I, I have never run a module without having like a whole notebook, again, I'm usually I'll photocopy, like if it's in a magazine or something, or, or, you know, even if it's a hardbound book, I will either photocopy it or take it and like have an entire notebook that is like a normal campaign notebook that is just all of my extra notes. You can't run it straight out of the book. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, Tim, you mentioned something that kind of made me think too. You were talking about a Battletech book where uh, they were mercenaries or something. In a campaign like that, where you're running with all mercenaries, any individual job could easily have been a module. Yeah. And then how you customize it is how they get that job. Instead of being this random person that that brings True. it to them, I, I think it goes somebody to... that's actually connected to them, blackmails them into doing the job, or 
somebody begs them to do the job and they're being paid for it. True. And I think the part of the reason that I didn't mention one of my favorite books by somebody I despise, which is Chris Hussey's Hotspots, <laughs> is because of the fact that while what it consists of is a bunch of story hooks and plot ideas, the ideas do not execute. And what I mean by that. They do execute in game. Yeah. They play wonderfully. I, I seriously, it's an out of print supplement, but I can't recommend it enough. Catalyst needs to bring it back into print. It's beautifully done, and a lot of love to Chris. Jokes aside, for for what he did there, but it gives you the contract, it gives you the plot hook, and it gives you a couple ideas for hey, in execution, here's a few loose, floating, disconnected ideas that might happen to keep the plot going. But it does not give you a full story arc. It does not give you the beginning, middle, end. It's just like, here's how it starts. Here's some stuff that could keep it interesting. Beyond that, who knows? Yep. And that's part of that is that's how Chris writes modules. Yeah. Because I have playtested his modules. I own one of his modules. And that's how he writes them. Yeah. I be, he gives you kind of a beginning and end and a whole lot of interesting things that you can flavor in sure. as you uh, want. Yeah. And yeah. some of my view of Chris modules. Chris is awesome. Yeah. I, jokes aside, he really is. But some of my view of modules may be stilted or distorted by the fact that I have played a lot of modules or run a lot of modules that were much more woodenly written. Oh, yeah, they can, of, they can be run badly. Of, of here, here's your dungeon map. Here's how you get the job to go into the dungeon. Right. You're in a tavern. Somebody approaches you with a letter. You've never seen them before. You yes. don't know who the letter yeah, is. The mysterious right. stranger, and, 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 yeah. blah, blah, yeah. bullshit, and bullshit. How much of that is our age, right? Like when we grew up. Not only was gaming adversarial, but modules were written in a way to cater to adversarial game mastering. Yeah, adversarial right. and also a particular type of right. game that was going to do it much more in graph paper than in the mind's yeah. eye. Well, but even, but yeah. once again, I, I'm saying this is not... Even if it's written like that, because right. remember, I ran... Organized play D&D Adventures. Yes. Those are very much written like that. Absolutely. Yes. They still are much are. better than they used to be, but still, they are very much written like that. One situation I remember very clearly, the, the table loved it. The players were coming up on a door. The module expects they are going to fight these guards. The guards have, like, flaming hair or something. One of them wanted to do an illusion and bluff and try to convince their way in. So that's what we did. Because that made sense. That was awesome. I don't care what's written on the paper. Right. They're going to get whatever they're supposed to get from the adventure at the end. Yeah. But this is more interesting. And you go with it. And that's that's really the key to running a module is you're not constrained by anything. It's like writing a game that, again, that you, you wrote and you expect the players to do this. And they definitely do not yeah. do that. You did not anticipate what they're going to do. And you run with it. And all you have to do is know the important points in the module well enough to be able to say cool moving on this is what comes yeah. next yeah. this you guy's know? dead or not dead and therefore we're just going to swap out that proper now with something else yeah. yeah i've been introduced to an idea lately and i don't know how much i buy into this but the idea was proposed to me recently that storytelling and running a game are two entirely different skill sets that actually yeah. coming up yeah. with an overall plot some people don't have that skill set but they can sit at a table and they can run and they can improv things, but they don't have the mindset to come up with the big plot. Yeah. Those people love modules because it's a big plot and then they can adjust it. They're doing fine running the game, but they are not good at sitting down and writing the overall plot, getting that idea. 
That's something that I've struggled with, actually, is I am great at coming up with scenarios, like specific scenes that I think will be cool, specific things that I want to happen. But connecting all those things together into a coherent plot is a lot harder for me. All right. I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. I'd say check the show notes, but I don't know there's going to be a whole lot in there outside of timestamps. Can I plug a product? Fine. All right. I encountered over multiple conventions in the last 12 months, Gooey Cube products, and they have a module box set for 5E that they do for $60 what Watsy and or Paizo could not do for $250. It's an incredible product, and the art is amateurish for my taste. However, the organization... The structure, the, the modules are really incredible. The player aids are amazing. So if you want to try a module, that is what I would encourage you to do. You didn't name the module, and then you farted. Go to the company. It's called Gooey Cube, and they're in some sort of numerical order. Dan, I have <laughs> had... I, I have had... just. It's called Gooey Cube. The guy's name okay, is Alphineas. Okay. okay, I'll look He's this up. He's amazing. I will do my best to link this in the show notes. <laughs> if I fail and you just get a link to Google, that's why. Gooey, <laughs> gooey Cube. So think about like one of no, my no, no. loads... No, 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 no. In, in a thank D6 mold. Okay. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. And we're sorry. (laughs) This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.